Your box is a little machine. You're the change machine. Welcome back. This is Miscarriage of Justice. This is this the Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> Bro, you ever just take DMT and watch a four hour and two minute movie? <laughs> I bet someone could go on Joe Rogan if they haven't already talked about this movie and convince him this is like the greatest movie and not even like because he's on DMT or because Batman's on a venison diet. Just just like go in and enthusiastically pitch this movie to him and he would walk away being like, have you heard about this Justice League movie? This is incredible, man. Well, Joe Rogan famously just believes whatever the last thing is that somebody <laughs> told him. So if he earnestly told Joe Rogan that Justice League was great, he would believe it yeah. until somebody told him the opposite. And then he would believe that probably. <laughs> This is a special in-person episode, Nat. I'm sitting across from you in my home studio. It's fucking weird. Yeah. I mean, we see each other from time to time, but this is the first time we've done one of these in the same room. Uh, and so we are have decided that we're not going to break eye contact <laughs> the entire time. It's um, going to be real so, weird. So if the vibe of this episode changes, you know. It's the sexual tension building. <laughs> Before we get into the episode recap, we are going to include some voice messages, which is a thing you can do on Anchor.fm. You can leave us a voice message. It has to be under 60 seconds, apparently, which we have just learned because my friend Daryl left us a couple dozen voice messages. (laughs) He had a lot to say. All very good and trenchant observations. I do want to include a couple of his voice messages here, though, because I feel like they are very insightful about Cyborg, which is a character that... I have a lot of issues with. I feel like Daryl has some great insights and I wanted to let folks hear that perspective. I think it's it's pretty cool and uh, we'll be right back. It intrigues me that Ray Fisher feels as if Joss Whedon treated him so poorly on the set because Fisher's cyborg kind of continues in the vein of completely and utterly emasculated black men or black men depicted on screen as void of sexuality or void of sex and how completely and utterly removing black male sexuality is what makes him acceptable. Terrence Trent Darby in the late 80s, early 90s once remarked on how like in order to cross over a black man, a black man in particular has to be, has to completely and utterly eliminate his sexuality. You know, Michael Jackson has to be asexual, Prince has to be bisexual. I mean, black male sexuality it was cinema was American cinema's first villain, and you know Fisher kind of not being sexual contributes to that. You know, when you look at it on screen, Fisher at first it seems kind of like Victor Stone is upset because he's not who he was, but Cyborg isn't a man. Like Cyborg doesn't have any genitals. He doesn't. He's no longer a man. I think it's interesting that Snyder, his myopia, or you know Terrio and Snyder, their horrible single-mindedness about. Victor Stone is that, you know, he only sees himself as the athlete, you know, like a, a, bene- a benevolent athlete, a benevolent giant, you know, like when he's walking around in the in the Matrix and he goes to the, the Harry Potter Gringotts Bank virtual station, he's wearing his fucking Letterman's jacket, which is really warped considering, you know, he's supposed to be a multifaceted genius and not just an athlete. And, you know, throughout the film, we, we, we always see him coming back to 
existing within the context of being, you know, that letterman's jacket, that athlete. When we see him, he's being an athlete. He's a quarterback. It, it's funny that Fisher would talk about racism on the set and, t- and, you know, kind of point to Whedon as being the source of that, when really his depiction of his own character is, in and of itself, like a complete desexualization of... You know the the only other black man in the film. Like both of the both of the black male main characters in the Snyderverse are completely asexual and desexualized because you know the Harry Lennox's character ends up being the Martian Manhunter. He's not you know he's not he's not a man, which is funny because he has that conversation in Man of Snyder too with Lois Lane about like you know being who belongs in the men's restroom. Of course, maybe that could have been the subtext, which is the reason why I was kind of amused that Fisher got so up in arms about being forced to say booyah. And I'm like. Man, motherfucker, you let them take your balls away, and you're pissed off about booyah. Okay, listen, there's a context for booyah. Let's talk about let's talk about where the fuck your balls went, man. Um, on a serious note, though, I mean, you know, like I grew up, you know, like I was raised by an all high school all American football player. Played, you know, played um, college football. Had an opportunity to go pro. Also, a very deeply intelligent man. You know, my father was a very very strong academic, but also an athlete. And, you know, one of the big things about him and being raised by him was being raised to understand that, you know, you, that, uh, you know the, the importance of being as multifaceted and, and, you know, being the best one can possibly be. In order to be a black man, you have to be twice as good as everyone else to be perceived as half as good. And Fisher Cyborg does not acknowledge that at all. And I'm really, really disappointed that Fisher is just so happy with his depiction on screen in the Snyderverse. Like... Uh, you know, which comes back to, like, his problem wasn't political. He was just big mad that he got cut out of the film. Which, you know, whatever. I mean, I'd be pissed off too, but, man, you still got paid for it, so whatever. Ultimately, all of this comes back to Warner Brothers and DC not really having a coherent vision and not wanting to actually take the time to make us care about the characters. And they got themselves a filmmaker that would definitely jump through all the hoops and churn out product that was glossy and pretty looking but you know not really worrying about caring about the characters and that's you know that's the, that's the kind of filmmaker Zack Snyder is well goddamn uh nice to have that perspective i i don't take issue with anything daryl said there are some bonkers cyborg takes out there uh, f- floating around there I, we don't need to I'm clutching uh, my. You can't see it, but I'm clutching my pearls right now. Yeah, I mean, we we don't need to wait in. And there are some people losing their minds trying to uh, connect connect dots on Zack Snyder's behalf. I think it's interesting, you know, to take a character that has what I would call like contemporary political heft, not just you know, the political heft that any superhero has. Sort of more historical. Right, like mm-hmm. that, okay, you know, this this speaks to things that are happening in present history. Yeah. And I don't think there's anyone less equipped, as, as you know, Daryl says, than Zack Snyder to do anything with that, right? And so anything that I think happens as a result is purely just an, an accident, right? It's like this mapped on to... Zack Snyder's ego or his id or, or both. And I think there are a lot of interesting things to unpack about, you know, like the boo, the booyah line, you know, and, and what does that mean in, in terms of, you know, representation of film and who is writing these lines and, you know, what are they thinking? 
I think ultimately if you like, you know, pin Zack Snyder down about that, he'd be like, I thought it was a cool line. Yeah. And as we've seen, I think he's surrounded by people that will never tell him otherwise. I can't help but think of Hollywood Shuffle where <laughs> Robert Townsend is on set and he's getting feedback. Can you make it a little more black? Right. <laughs> Uh, no, I think you're 100% correct. Yeah. The, Zack Snyder is incapable of having any sort of coherent um, social commentary because we know he has he has these politics. Yeah. Although, although the people the people who would take issue with this will say keep, you know, keep politics out of superhero movies. They're inherently political. R- right. As you can see in the MCU, that's all sort of American imperialist ap- mm-hmm. apologia. But yeah, he is incredibly ill-equipped to to handle any of this stuff. And I do, you know, and this goes back to his, you know, him wanting to make the Fountainhead, but it not being the right time for it. And I, like, to me, he reads as someone who would describe themselves as being apolitical. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Like, that is... A choice that you have. Well, no, right? both both extremes are wrong. It only makes sense when you're here with me in the middle. Yeah, being smart, right? And, and that, yeah, I can see it from from all sides. And what I think is especially interesting about someone who would you know take up the apolitical mantle. And again, I'm I'm kind of reaching here a little bit. We're he's, speculating. Yeah, he he has not s- said this, um, but yeah, but you see yourself as. It's a very like modernist way to think, and I don't mean modernist meaning like our modern era. I mean like philosophically modernist that you can exist outside of of history. You can exist outside of culture. You are there to observe it and comment on it, but it does not necessarily uh, affect the way that you do those things. And there's certainly a lot of ink spilled about that, and lots of people have made their academic careers on it. You certainly don't need to listen to, uh, you know, Frankfurt's summer school coming out of my mouth over here. But it is interesting, um, yeah, when those kind of more overt political criticisms are made about this. And and we've, I think our guests have done it eloquently. I've done it, uh, <laughs> you know, falling backwards down a staircase. But part of what makes it so interesting is... Again, I think it's all accidental because I don't think Snyder sees himself as having a political position, um, which in part, in large part, is his political position. Cool. So leave us a voice message like uh, like Gerald did. Yeah. Go to anchor.fm slash miscarriage of justice. It's easy. I think you can just do it on your phone or like through the app. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Send us an email. Do that too. Miscarriage of Justice at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Miscarriage Pod, at Miscarriage Pod, I guess I should say. And uh, yeah, let's get into the recap. Let's fucking go. Bam. This is episode nine. Uh, we're up to part four on. The six plus two parts. This one's called Change Machine, and a bunch of stupid shit happens. Mm-hmm. Not much changes, oddly <laughs> enough. The Change Machine, uh, as referred to elsewhere, refers to the mother boxes. 
Cyborg, we'll get into that later. Um, and yeah, he talks about how the mother box isn't inherently good or bad. It just does, it just changes things, right? Music cue for David Bowie. And they could have so many things they, they could do with the music. <laughs> A tin machine you met, right? Yeah. <laughs> the tin machines. Perfect opportunity to play some vintage tin machines. If anything, right actually, I meant, you know, metal machine music. Hell yeah, some Lou Reed. Yeah. Berlin era. Yeah, those guys, yeah. Everyone's, everyone's favorite Lou Reed album. <laughs> the album everyone thinks of. Play some uh, nightclubbing. Anything from the Berlin period. It's part four. It's Change Machine. I think, you know, my favorite part about this is that it's mercifully short. It's only like 30 minutes. 30, yeah. 31 minutes or something like that. It's uh, And I feel like 70% of those 30 minutes, I couldn't have actually just done that math in minutes, um, is them walking around like about to get in a fight. Yeah. Right? And they're well, all just like strutting, strutting to each other and kind of like showing off their powers to each other. Yep. You uh, noted that it starts off with them meeting with Commissioner Gordon. Yep. It's the, the, the promised Batman and Gordon meeting. Love uh, my man in in here. J.K. Yeah, he just kidding. Simmons. He <laughs> elevates anything that he's in. He's great. He's great. He I said he kind of adds a certain level of realness to it. He plays his role like a person would, just like an an overworked administrator. Um, which and not that you ever see him and Alfred at the same time, but it did remind me of just how unrealistic this Alfred is. It's just like bizarre he's incredibly dapper and always having tea or having whiskey or something um but just you're like this is not a person this like it would have been more believable if this alfred was an ai program that he had built if you're gonna have him like played this way yeah like he's uh, jeremy irons is playing the robot from iron man right like the yes exactly that guy. exactly i wish he was playing the robot from rocky four but no you're right he's totally playing um, which is weird. I'm sure Zack Snyder would like take credit for this, but the Iron Man robot Butler mm-hmm. is, you know, a not send up, but it's, you know, a nod to Alfred in, in that kind of trope to begin with. And this is just like ripping that off poorly and not making it like a nod to a nod. Yeah. Famous butlers throughout history. <laughs> Then yeah, then the then the part that we've that I've been dreading talking about for this entire time it's it's going to be the big fight in the sewer. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that really jumped out to me was um, when they're sort of massing in the sewers and waiting for the shit to go down. There's a fake high on fire music cue that happens. It's like this big stoner rock riff that just sounds like like a shitty version of Blessed Black Wings or something. The only thing I remember musically about this part was uh, just, you know, the screaming of my inner monologue. No, I remember they did tease the Wonder Woman lick that I did. (laughs) They tease it for like two seconds. So I don't even remember whatever low on fire, high on fumes uh, BS they got in there. Low low on water. (laughs) 
Um, do you remember when they showed each of the heroes jumping down the manhole cover or whatever? I remember when each of them uniquely jumps across the broken bridge, but I don't yeah. remember each one jumping down. Um, this is earlier, and it's over in like half a second. It's not anything that anybody should have noticed. But I just noticed that they like they tried to make the little leap down into the sewer, sewer look epic. And oh. it just looked, each of them looked super awkward and lame. Well, also, they just do their epic jumps like five minutes later. Why do you have to? And is that the second lame jump down a hole? That this yes. Because Wonder Woman does Wonder Woman ins- does it too. Her insane Castlevania one, right? <laughs> it's so shitty. And those are the parts where I'm like, this really looks like a video game, but I don't think it's a nod to just, you know, dorks who geek out on, you know, NES aesthetics. And, and I, I'm not being disparaging there. I kind of include myself in that yeah. population. But you're like, no, this just doesn't look g- good. This should look way better for what it is, the year it was made, all that stuff. Some Shinobi-ass shit. Oh, <laughs> I wish there was a scene of Batman from his perspective just chucking batarangs at, at guy. I mean, that's basically what the fight scene is. The the stupid bugs. Yeah, but before we get to the stupid bugs, we have the really tortured Diana line where she says, "The scent of the enemy of absence of darkness of death." Oh, what is with all the scents? Why does everything have a scent? I know one. I don't know what the scent of absence is. I can't. It smells buy, like nothing. Yeah, I can't like go into the Yankee Candle Store and be like, uh, "Yes, I want sandalwood and absence." They'd be like, "Absinthe?" And I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, like no absence. Maybe she meant to say absence. They're like, "Sir, we've t- we've t- told you you're not allowed in here anymore." Yeah. What was? It? And then I guess death has a smell. Sure. Sure. Just decay. Yeah. But darkness doesn't have a smell. Yeah, I don't walk into a room and go like... It smells dark in here. Can you put the dimmers up a bit? Like it's, ooh, it's a little it's a little dark. <laughs> the smell of darkness is overpowering. And then there's another amazing thing where I think Batman says, Alfred, where are we? And Alfred gets on the horn and goes, uh, you're, you're at Stryker's Island, which yeah. Cyborg literally just told them in the previous scene. You You flew there. Yeah. You're not waking up there. It's not like Batman had one of his uh, hero-destroying, image-destroying one-night stands that that Zack Snyder has has talked to us about. And he wakes up and he's like, Alfred, uh, where's my walk of shame going from? Please give me GPS directions. It's like, this is the plan. You're following the the mother box. Well, I gave them a little... I I cut them a little slack there because they did like drop down in a hole and then like walk some amount, but you know where you are. You know, you're under Strikers Island because Cyborg literally just told you that's where you're going. Down in a hole. Remember they say the points don't converge, not on land. Right. And that's where Cyborg's, this is under Strikers Island. Yeah, they should have played Alice in Chains down on, down in a hole. That's that's all I'm going to contribute from now on is the musical cues they should have used. Yeah, that's, I mean, anything would have been better than what they ended up doing, so. Yeah, was he supposed to tell them, like, how far down they are? Because that's, that's what we'll, we'll get to, is that 
it seems like they are inches from the Earth's core. Like they are so far down. Does that maybe this is canonically in the uh, Kong versus Godzilla universe where they go into the Earth's core where gravity flips over? Okay, okay. That's if you, if you haven't seen Kong versus Godzilla, I recommend it most highly. So, but they do they do eventually walk in on what we assume are the captives from the NASA laboratory. Yes, and Steppenwolf is menacing them. Oh, and he set the uh, he set the psychic spider loose on them. Yes, yes, he's he's kind of going from one to another, and I think this does answer our question earlier. Even though I couldn't really remember him, I think this is where our gas attendant janitor ends up. I think he is part of this group, who's and if I'm not mistaken, he is the one being interrogated. When Cyborg's dad's like, he doesn't know anything. Right. Cyborg's dad, uh, this is his first, his initial martyrdom. Yes. Where he tries to sacrifice himself for the greater good. And when Cyborg sees this, he just yells and then like mounts an attack, which they decided that they're not going to (laughs) do. Right. right. So he yells and gives up the, um, you know, any benefit of the element of surprise that they might have had. He yells and then launches himself at Steppenwolf. Let's do this. Leroy Dragons! Oh my God, he just ran in. This is the guy that his dad gave, not even the nuclear codes. He gave him just the nukes. I mean, at least like they kind of make this his theme, that it's consistent that he's... Um, I mean, this is impulsive. About, yeah, impulsive. Yeah, right. That he can't, he can't stick to anything. Um, I think we've already, yeah, we definitely already passed it. So going back a little bit, it's it's the second series of jumps when they're going over the destroyed uh, catwalk. Right, right, right. Oh yeah, Batman does his like, uh, what do you call those things? He gets a, yeah, shoots a thing and he swings. Flash just goes real fast. Diana jumps, and these are all like should be epic, but aren't. Yeah, it's and it's all of them kind of like peacocking to each other a little bit, like showing off their powers. Yep, and to us, to the viewer, right? Um, but yeah, it just it played a little weird. And Cyborg has the line with Batman that I couldn't determine if I liked or. or I think I was like truly ambivalent about it, ambivalent in like the true definition of the word, like to love and to hate. When Cyborg says to Batman, like, I didn't think you were real. And then Batman says, I'm real when it's necessary. I can't even remember it now. Yeah. I'm real when I, I'm real when I need to be. And then he, yeah, he, he, uh, you know, flies over the thing using his technology. Yeah. Um, but I was just like, yeah, it still seems like they don't like each other. And maybe that's part of it. But, spoiler alert, they never really get to a point where they do like each other that much. It's just they murder the bad guy at the end and and they still have the same amount of distrust and animus for each other. Yeah, you really just have to take Zack Snyder's word for it that they're a team now. And the the only way that that's ever established, I mean, apart from the fact that these people keep showing up to fight the same guy, the only way that that's ever established is by the one swirly cam shot of all six of them sort of standing in a semicircle. Like, that's Zack Snyder telling you, okay, they're a team now, you can... Even in that part, which I th- I think is in the next... Yeah, so it even, hasn't happened Even yet. in that scene, which, which is in the next part, 
one of the core things that happens is that Aquaman accuses Cyborg of being a bad guy. So it's still they're just like needling in a, and not in like a, a gentle ribbing way. Yeah. He's just like, how do we know you're not the whatever? Um, and yeah, it's like they never seem to get along. I think that's supposed to make it more interesting to us that like they have this tenuous relationship with each other. and well, it, It's a team of rivals. Yeah, but it just is like. No, it just seems this seems inefficient. Like you guys should just do like three trust falls before you try to save the universe. Like it's not confidence building. Yeah, let's have some team building exercises. Maybe go on the ropes course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Some shit like that. Uh, but before we get there, we do get a fight, and it's just another interminable thing. Where, as you, I think, um, appropriately pointed out in the last episode, everyone it just gets thrown into walls repeatedly. That that is the. Like back, back, ba, like whatever, like the one move you could figure out in Mortal Kombat to make Scorpion throw, you know, throw the spear. That's the only move anyone has is just to chuck the other guy into a wall. My other thought is that this is like a visual dog whistle for all the drywall punchers in the audience because they just it just makes them feel good to see a wall being destroyed. <laughs> Yeah, and they all they've done is they paid their twelve bucks or whatever to get in, and they don't even have to patch anything up when they're done. Yeah, it's just it's, like, it's uh, oh vicariously. Yes, you're enjoying the vicarious wall destruction. Man, I'm not. I am glad that there's a document of this movie making us stupider. <laughs> like absolutely, this is this is going to be like a complete like flowers for Algeron kind of scenario, and we're just. Really happy and love this movie by the end. Yeah, by the end of the recap episodes, we're going to have an IQ, I think, combined of about 60. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the fight scene just, like, kind of goes on forever. Um, there is some sick dialogue, though, I want to point out, like, a couple of my favorite lines. Oh, the the Wonder Woman? Yes. Oh, my yes. God. <laughs> Steppenwolf says, Amazon. And, uh, and and his Alexa turns on the Alexa that he has in that pit down there. Auto auto orders him a bunch of toilet paper. Uh, yeah, uh, Steppenwolf says Amazon. This one will be mine. And Diana says, "I belong to no one." It's so goofy. It's so fucking goofy. Because <laughs> it's I get. I, right, I get the thing. He's like, "This will be mine," or "This one will be mine," meaning like. I'm going to kill her and her, she's saying, you know, I belong to no one, which is just this like very literal interpretation of, of what he said. Yeah. It makes no sense. And you wrote it. Like you didn't have to write that. I, I understand like from what we can tell, that's what, you know, uh gal probably would have, how she would have responded. Like, did they just, was this part all improv? Is that why we have this line? Well, I, this, <laughs> The dialogue throughout is so bad that it made me wonder if Zack Snyder realizes that when he centers up someone's name on the page and then there's a bunch of words under it that that is dialogue that the characters speak. <laughs> like he has made a few movies, so I think that's probably one of the things that he would be aware of, like a convention that he would be aware of. Because he seems to treat them just like stage directions. Yeah. Like... You know, Cyborg enters from, you know, off screen and punches a guy. Like, 
I don't think he makes any distinction between stage direction and dialogue because so much of it is just so inane, banal, idiotic, just taking up space. I mean, the thing we were talking about before of of Alfred letting them know where they were, that is basically just stage direction set out loud. It is. It's just exposition, stage direction, whatever else. Does it matter to us that they are under Stryker's Island? At no, no, that is in no way relevant. The only way in which that's important is that they're under the water. But they could have... Also, you could just show them going under the water. You don't need to show them flying to the island and then say they're... Un- show them jumping into a hole, <laughs> having them say you're under Stryker's Island. After hatching a plan to go under Stryker's Island, like... Yeah, it is. It's it, it's mind numbing, and my mind absolutely has pins and needles anytime I'm watching this. <laughs> I just, I really do wonder, like, what he thinks dialogue is for. He's just, they're just such bad storytellers. Yeah, or I, yeah, I have, I have no idea. And I'm thinking, you know, in some of his other movies, like he loved all the epic parts in Watchmen. That, granted, were cool in the comic book. You know, when I read it. Um, where a character is like kind of just talking to no one and everyone like Rorschach does it a bunch Dr. Manhattan does it a bunch he loved that stuff where it's just like ah the character's talking to the audience and if anything he made Rorschach talk to the audience on occasions when yeah Rorschach was like narrating but he was narrating he wasn't breaking the fourth wall so much and zach just like wants them to talk directly to you yeah what if we made the entire plane out of the black box what if we made the entire movie out of those little monologues yeah it's yeah i belong to no one like say that's not what he's saying he's trying to kill you say you're not going to kill me i'm going to kill you instead like it's a literal like i wonder if he's trying to be like girl power Considering that he thought uh, Sucker Punch was a feminist work, then yeah. I mean, that's how it read to me was like just this very lazy, uh, you know, yeah, like I won't even say like a feminist nod, but Mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, this is, yeah, girl power. And, but I also think maybe knowing like deep down inside that that's not his core audience, right? That. These are these are people who, if if Zack Snyder was like, I'm doing a Wonder Woman movie and I'm casting Wonder Woman as a dude, I'm casting Dan Bilzerian as Wonder Woman. <laughs> his fan base would be like, Yeah, finally, <laughs> more male representation. Yeah, there are people, people movies. who called for the Snyder cut who are doing hard time because of their on the streets protests about the Ghostbusters reboot. Like that's that's who this fan base Okay, is. I'm I'm willing I'm willing to give Zach one out. That the the I belong to no one really feels like it was like focus grouped in. And mm-hmm. so maybe some VP of something said, I want you know, you gotta have Wonder Woman say this or I'm not gonna sign the check. Yeah, I mean possibly, although it seems like this this movie wasn't that right, right? That, but oh, they did get a Mercedes spot in and oh, the yeah. Gillette thing. Like it's not it's not art for art's sake. No, I'm also I'm also sure that Zach is driving around a sweet uh, G wagon right now, and his face is so silky smooth. Yeah, oh, yes. <laughs> hell yes. 
There was there was some quid, there was some quo. But yeah, so they they're fighting again. It's another fight where nothing really happens. I guess they save the people. The first time I saw it, it was a little unclear whether they save the hostages. Because yeah. um, there's another scene where they like get everyone out of the lab, and it makes it very clear that those people are safe. Right. But yeah, the first time I watched this, I was like, did they save those folks? Or were they just like, oh, gotta go. So long, everybody. Um, there is a team-building element where the Flash gets Wonder Woman's sword for her. Yeah. She gets knocked down. He, he goes, doink! Yeah, he, ding! <laughs> he gives it just he a little, it. whoop! Um, and so that was, yeah, kind of where they're like, oh, they're... They're working together, but also you know that he's just horny for Wonder Woman. Yes. So, I th- there's also a version where this happens where like she would have got the sword on her own, and Batman's being eaten alive by the bugs. Right. And the Flash is still just like, I think we're gonna help Wonder Woman. Right. Totally. <laughs> Do you remember that right after he got Diana's sword back, he like wiped out because he got too horny? Like, oh, that's right. He fucking ate shit. Yeah. <laughs> like he tripped over a rock or something. Yeah, he, he was, was trying like... to impress her too much. He was <laughs> he's looking at himself in the in the reflection. Yep. And then a very similar thing happens to Batman, right? So they're on all these catwalks. I do my little turn on the catwalk. It's these you know classic action movie. You know, it's the part of the action movie in Terminator 2 or right when they go to the, the chain, the chains and sparks factory yep. or in Robocop where they go to the, mol- uh, the, the molten metal factory. Yeah, the, yeah, the molten metal factory yeah. with toxic waste silos hanging out. Like I get like rules. I get it. So they're in this three mile deep t- tube tunnel in, in the earth and it's just nothing but ill kept catwalks just these steel grates osha would like a word oh yeah i mean i don't know who again maybe like we're supposed to know more about striker strikers island and i know that is like a thing in the comic books and i'm sure i'm just queuing myself up for some angry angry mentions uh right right now but yeah so there she falls down one of them because they're just constantly collapsing and just bodies are being thrown into all the load-bearing beams and and concrete around this place. But the same thing happens to Batman. Yep. So she gets knocked down and her sword falls off the thing. Batman gets knocked over and his special gun is about to fall over. Granted, he grabs it. But they do the same bit three minutes apart, 90 seconds apart. It could have split-screened for a second and I Mm -hmm. just blacked out. Yeah, it's... All that, all that said, I do want to point out one. Like, I'm still, since I'm forcing myself to watch this fucking movie over and over again, I really am looking for things to enjoy. And I found something in right. the, in the context of this fight scene. There is a thing where Flash is fighting one of the parademons, and the parademon is like attacking, 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 and Flash is dodging his blows so quickly that it looks like he's teleporting. Right, right, right. Kind of cool. I thought it was cool. There was still like way too much lightning, which I'm not into. But like overall, the effect was a cool action scene. And doesn't – that's the part too where he then zips behind the guy and just gives him a little shove. That may be the same, he, yeah. Again, 
only move anyone has is to push someone into a wall. Yeah. But yeah, no, he's do, he's doing his like high speed kind of rope a dope on, on the mm-hmm. guy, and yeah, it, at least it was more interesting than just oh I get hit and then I fight back and and win. You just wonder why Flash doesn't uh, if he, if he can redirect something as massive as a sword with a tiny little boop of his fingertip. Doesn't that mean he can also like eviscerate somebody with like his fingernails? Like if he ran super fast past somebody and just went like with his flat the flat of his palm, yeah, shouldn't he just be able to like cleave them in two? I would have. I mean, he broke the glass of the dog walking place by touching it with his finger. Yeah, putting putting his finger through it. Um, so why doesn't he just decapitate all of the parademons that way? Also, why if he knows he can turn back time? Cher has told him that he can turn back time. Why not just run? This is my thing, is just run all the way back before Superman is murdered. Just run back, like, months. He does. <laughs> they do make some mention of that later on, about when they actually do do the Superman 2 thing, about why they don't do it. Well, he's also traveling through time mm-hmm. in the fu- in the future, right? When Batman has his dream... The Flash is wearing his like time travel out out. It, I don't care. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I'm so worked up about it. You cannot demand ideological consistency yeah. from this thing. So they're 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 fighting in the pit, and there's not even a mother box at this point. They're just trying to save these folks, or they know where Steppenwolf is. Save Cyborg's dad, I guess, ostensibly. I do remember, though, that the fight ends with Diana smashing her gauntlets together the way that she did with the ska band guy in the library. Yeah. And that's how she uh, uh, incapacitates Steppenwolf, which, again, makes me ask, why not just do that from the very beginning? Is that like a... Like a super power up, like in Golden Axe, where you could do it, but then you lost some of your health? Like does she after she does that does she need to like kick a little elf and like eat a whole turkey to to be back up to power? Cause yeah, if you were if you were gonna do that, just do that all. Just walk into a room and be like, "Bamo, we're done. Let's I uh, you know I'm gonna go home and catch Will and Grace." Like eventually, Steppenwolf teleports out of there, but not before he compromises the tunnel to a permanent end. Right. Letting in all the water, which gives uh, Aquaman an opportunity to come in and save the day. Yeah, so Steppenwolf, he ruins the tunnel. As we are pretty sure, they're underneath Stryker's Island. That's what I've been led to believe anyway. I've got some decent intel. (laughs) And so, yeah, they start scurrying out because it's filling up with, with water. Which, this is on me. This is fully on me. I didn't even anticipate that Aquaman would show up once. Even though, like, I knew there's water coming and there's one guy missing. (laughs) And I still, when Aquaman showed up, I was like, oh, right, yeah, water. Okay. Like, it didn't even foreshadow it for me. I was just so, so dead. (laughs) It just, but it sucks. It's like, he's doing, like, he's 
doing Moses. He's parting the Red Sea. He is sort of holding, sort of holding up the water. Like he holds up the water just long enough for people to escape into their shitty like bat tank. Yeah, which the, I've the, got issues with the fucking with the thing. The bug. The, the yeah. The how, night crawler. How that can crawl up a wall? It sucks, dude. It's fucking stupid. I and I'm gonna get there to talk about that. But the fact that like Aquaman is like the rightful king of the ocean and he can't even stop some water for more than a few seconds at a time seemed kind of lame. Yeah. Yeah. It, I I don't know, maybe like because of the pressure of it rushing in, he's used to still waters. I don't know. I have no idea. I mean, he was able to get that guy off the boat. I also, it's unclear to me. Is he aware of what's happening in all the water in the world all the time? Like, if someone drunkenly falls into Lake Michigan, does he, like, get a little tingle in the back of his neck and then just make a judgment call on it? Where was he when Natalie Wood died? That's that's what I want. Or Robert know. Maxwell, for that matter. <laughs> no one should die on his watch. No one should drown. He should say, be able to save everybody. But I guess he's, like, he's not that... I mean, it just takes him, like, a slightly faster than normal amount of time to get from point A to point B. He can go about like as fast as a dolphin, right? <laughs> I don't. That's so he is, had to have been in the area. Yeah. So like, if something is happening, he can't like teleport there. Well, he should deputize people to patrol various, you know, bodies of water. Yeah, people should be making citizens arrests all <laughs> under underneath. <laughs> All right, so yeah, that buys them enough time to get into the Nightcrawler, which fucking sucks. Yeah. Is a stupid vehicle. It's useless. Like some kind of sort of like VTOL thing that also had wheels. Like a tank, like a flying tank. Uh, Would have been so much better. And it gets damaged because, yeah, Steppenwolf hacks it. Yeah. I mean, Cyborg hacks into it. Right. But Steppenwolf hacks it and there is that funny moment where cyborg hops on the on the two-way and says alfred i'm taking over yeah and alfred says do i know you <laughs> right <laughs> and that's also what's it's just like assume that alfred's controlling all the stuff r- remotely i i don't know it's it doesn't bear thinking about frankly no i mean this part was mostly a, an action sequence, it brings them all to... It is the thing that brings them all together, which, interestingly, has nothing to do with Batman's pitch or his non-existent pitch, right? Like, the one guy he got on board himself was uh, The Flash. Aquaman shows up begrudgingly, and as we hinted at, when they're all together, he's still a jerk about it. Uh cyborg is you know not really on board with with the whole thing but yeah it's mostly just an action sequence that brings a team together and the team coming together was always a foregone conclusion like even though they were all disinterested in it there was never any doubt in my mind that well this is going to happen i mean it is the name of the movie yes i mean it could have been named son of sun and night of night but What Nat is referring to is a thing that he and I just discovered yesterday. That originally Zack Snyder had intended to call Batman versus Superman, Son of Sun, and Night of Night. So, uh, 
you know, O son, U son, K night, N night. Like, what the fucking fuck? And the best part is he wanted that title in place of Batman v Superman. Right. Dawn of Justice, which admittedly is a terrible title. It sucks ass, yes. Batman v Superman colon <laughs> Dawn of Justice. Awful. But It's one sort of, of like a utilitarian title. You know that Justice League is going to be next, right? Well, that's part of what was in that article as well, is the studio petitioned hard for Dawn of Justice. That would have been great. No, no. To, for that to be added Oh, on. yeah, no, no, sorry. Be- because it was so unclear in the movie itself, not only from the title, but in the context, in the content of the movie, mm-hmm. that this was setting you up for the Justice League franchise. So they had to put a little asterisk <laughs> in the title of the film to let you know that this is one of X. Um, but anyway, so Snyder and his... You know, petition for night of night, son of sun, or son of night, night of day, um, whatever. Night to King's Pawn 3. Yeah. Uh, is that it was more poetic. Jesus that fucking That Christ. title was more poetic. If the poet is a sixth grade child, perhaps. It's, like, uh, bro, did you ever notice that there are two different versions of both of those <laughs> words? Did you ever just fucking bug out on that? It's Holy like shit. Oh, uh, homonym. The movie. The sequel. The ride. <laughs> Ad homonym. Oh. Uh, so Steppenwolf escapes. And next, uh, he gets another vision from the mother boxes. It sucks. Is this the vision where he finally sees the anti-life equation? It is, finally. So finally we get... I thought this has happened three times already. Finally we get this explanation of a thing that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's Snyder's thing that he loves to do. It's the exposition where you feel like you understand less by the end of it. And it's a big... And we've seen it before. Because uh, Wonder Woman explained it a little bit, how this thing, Darkseid found it hidden in the infinity of space. In the Age of Heroes part. Yes, yes. that immortal line. And what's funny to me, so this is this really gets Steppenwolf on, on the leaderboard, right? He's back in the good graces. He can use the the executive bathroom he can use the executive keurig again because he's found this thing that's very important to them this uh flaming tribal tattoo this <laughs> this anti-cosmic crop circle that apparently is on earth and nowhere else my thing was that didn't they jot this down if if they're so geeked on this if this is like the best thing for these guys this anti-life equation, and they discovered it. I get that he discovered it, and then he had a fight with, with Thor and with, um, you know, the, the Wonder Women and that one Green Lantern guy. But he didn't have time to just jot it down, put it in his Newton. Like, found the anti-life equation. It's on Third Rock from the Sun. John jot, Lithgow's guarding it. Like, <laughs> jot down these coordinates. Yeah, like, T- take a memo. 
None of this. None, so they're just like, oh, remember that awesome thing that we found? And it's not even like, oh, remember we were in Berlin that one time and there was that restaurant, but uh, everyone was kind of drunk. And oh, what was that place called? Oh, I'd love to go there again sometime. Like, this is central to your quest to ruin the universe. And you couldn't, like no one wrote on the back of a napkin. Like you put it on the palm of your hand. It, you tattoo it on the small on, on a small child, like in Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's what was confusing to me about this is like this thing is all important. They had already found it. Mm-hmm. If I understand correctly, the reason it's important in the first place is that he discovered it. It wasn't like he was even looking for it when he first came to Earth. He like stubbed his toe on it, but was like, "Oh, this rules." Uh, let's, let's just forget about it. It's totally insane. It shows no respect for the audience to the characters that you've created. It makes no sense. If you'll recall in the age of heroes section, Wonder Woman goes to great pains to convey that earth is the only planet who's ever resisted dark side. The only planet who's ever repelled Darkseid. Oh, yeah. It's the only place he ever was unsuccessful in taking over. You would think they might have noted where that place was. <laughs> if it happens to be this, that place is the same place that you found the anti-life equation. Yeah, it's the one that got away. And you can't like... So if it's the only planet you haven't totally uh, retrofitted, terraformed chloroformed, whatever. If it's the only one and you're still looking for this other thing, but you've already conquered... I didn't even put this together. 100,000 planets. So you, all every other planet is accounted for. Yep. Except for... Th- did they just forget that this was a planet? No, you wouldn't. It's the one that got away. It yep. haunts you. This is... Dark side is up... Scrolling through Facebook at like 2 a.m., hoping that he didn't accidentally click on one of Earth's photos. And then if he does, he hopes he can unclick it quick enough that Earth doesn't notice. <laughs> that, <laughs> like. Yeah, once I finally put this together, I mean, do you, maybe Zack Snyder just never intended anybody to care about, pay this any attention, like any amount of attention. Like, do you think that he just doesn't think that people think about this stuff, therefore it doesn't matter? Yes. Yeah. I, yes. I think that is ab- absolutely, and as has been discussed, and, you know, as Wes, you know, who left the voicemail, you know, uh, how he, he put it so well, like, you're supposed to already just know everything. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to have all the information. And then I think in addition to that, you're just happy that you're getting this, right? This is just... The, you know, there, there's no version in which you get this and you're critical of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. If if it's for the people, like, the people who it's for, yeah. right? Which not, like, you and I were not lobbying for the, the Snyder Cut. Um, I think, yeah, for everyone else, for the intended audience. And that is, again, what is so interesting about it and, you know, what... Um, Eileen talked about and a lot of our other guests have talked about is this is this really like curated product for a particular audience and if it doesn't land for other people that's not an issue 
I guess I just assume that the people involved would at least have some respect for their audience and at least make it make sense internally. Like, I'm willing to give you all sorts of latitude and suspend my disbelief for almost anything. As long as there's some sort of internal coherence to your right. whatever. Yeah, make it internally consistent. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be externally consistent. Never. It can be everyone on this planet flies and there's no gravity. Like, that's that's okay. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, then they're back. They're back at Batman's warehouse. They're back in the Batcave. And Victor says, <laughs> you remember? Okay, you remember earlier where um, Wonder Woman broke in to the Batcave and Bruce Wayne is working on the troop transport. Yes, Victor like does a thing where he's ta- he's talking to the troop transport, and he says, "This is a quote: It wants to fly." And uh, somebody, it might be Wonder Woman, or it might be I can't remember who says it. But somebody goes, "You can talk to machines." He goes, "Uh, says says something that essentially, yeah, I, yeah, I can talk to machines. He can talk to all machines. How does a thing? How does a machine know that i mean machine does not want to fly it has no intelligence yeah it's like did he just run like a diagnostic and he's like uh it it's got an error i mean it's it was built to fly and it can't fly but yeah he makes it sound like like he's in tune with it and it's you know it want it's like it wants to fly. It's it's sad. It's it's heartbroken. This makes even less sense than the bull fighting the bear in the Matrix, in the Megatronic Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I think it's just to drive the point home that he can talk to he's Dr. Doolittle for you know, big helicopters. <laughs> That's But literally have him just say any other line. Like not it wants to fly. I can I can fix it. Yeah, just go, uh, hey, Bruce, did you think about like rerunning the diagnostic on blah, blah, blah? And then it'll work. No, because part of it, and I think this is supposed to add to Cyborg's arc or just like his general kind of character, he can fix the machine because he's like in tune with it. Like when he's he's running his diagnostic, it's playing that Coldplay, I Will Fix You song, right? But at the same time, but that doesn't necessarily make any sense because he's just supposed to be the, the most intelligent, capable being on the planet. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter whether or not he has an emotional bond with it. Like he and the machine don't need to lady in the tramp it over some electrical wire together, right? That's That doesn't right. need to happen. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that just jumped out at me as a completely idiotic line of dialogue. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 and... In a sea of idiotic dialogue, it is impressive when you have a wave that's worth surfing for a bit. Absolutely. But no, this is where Aquaman accuses Cyborg of being a bad guy. Yes. Okay. So, and this is the... They're around around the table. They're around the table and the camera keeps going around. Yeah. And it just going around and around. And they're talking about what they need to do with the mother box and we see yeah cyborg's explaining what it is and aquaman's you know like well, how how do you know so much about it and 
it's so funny because like again this is like a trope in these things like how do we know we can trust you who, mm-hmm. who put you in charge but it escalates and resolves in i don't know 25 seconds yeah it just it resolves because it resolves it's the, yes. it's an ontological resolution it's just like all right and yeah he aquaman doesn't like any of the people here so no, it's like maybe Batman says something to him, but it's like no, you don't trust him. This doesn't matter. You're just like, well, all right, uh, we need we need to move on. Yeah. So do you remember what happens next with the mother box sitting in the center of the table? It shows them Superman. Incredible. Which it probably took like the fifth time of me seeing this part to realize the box was showing them. The box was giving them like a little Max Headroom presentation. I thought that was like coming from Cyborg's... I assumed that it was. Crystal Vision. But yeah, it's like the mother box was telling them to bring Superman back, which is just beyond goofy. That was also like their plan. I thought that was their plan anyway. Was that, that was n- their plan. Not their plan until the mother box told them. I, I, I don't know, but just like to Eileen's point that I keep coming back to, I'm so glad that we had her on the show. She talked about everything just being taxed. Yes. You could have done this without showing Superman. And this is, again, what I'm talking about with Zack Snyder deciding to, you know, expose everything, but make it more confusing. Like, here's a thing that didn't need to be exposed. You could have left it unsaid. Mm-hmm. Because you're going to close the loop on it. You're going to resurrect Superman. Right. You do not need to show us Superman in that moment. Unless you have zero respect for your audience making any kind of connection about what they're talking about, your characters are talking about. What's especially funny to me is for a movie that is this long, that it gives you no reason, at least for me, to keep watching. Because it just tells you what's about to happen next. It's the opposite of every show on Netflix. Yes. Because every show on Netflix in the last 30 seconds, they fucking cliffhang you so that you watch the next one. This is the polar opposite. Yeah. This could not have been episodic because he resolves everything before it moves on to the next part. Or or you're like, well, we're going to bring Superman back. At that point, the only tension is, well, does it work or not? Right. Right? Not like... Oh, well, what are we going to do? Oh, I don't know. I have an idea, but find out next. It's just right. like, oh, well, we're going to bring Superman back and we know how the box works. And all right, here we go. <laughs> it rules. Next, we cut to Martha Kent and Lois Lane uh, in their coffee clutch. They're having a chat. Oh yeah, this this part utterly baffling is so one. This is something we talked about maybe the first or second episode. And I was annoyed that she was going to Superman's uh, memorial, mm-hmm. and you said that it was probably on her way to work. Mm-hmm. And then Martha Kent states that Lois Lane has not been to work right since Superman has died. So I'm mad again. <laughs> that, like. Um, you're not going to work. Just go. You know where his actual grave is. Why do you need to bring that cop, you know, uh, a coffee? Um, but yeah, so she, yeah, they, they have a little chat and. Do you remember though, when, um, Martha Kent knocks on the door? Yeah. You hear Lois from inside say, who is it? 
and Diane Lane says, Martha, you know that was meant to be a huge applause line. If, you, if we'd gone to this on IMAX, if there hadn't been a global pandemic, if we would have gone to see this on opening night, and she said, Martha, the people would have fucking lost their minds. Batman pops up in the background. Why did you say, Why did you say that? Name? <laughs> he's just, he's, he's working on, he's fixing the seal around her tub, and he's just, he hears that name and loses his mind. Um... Yeah, and th- and this scene is so bonkers because, yeah, we don't need to spill a lot of uh, ink on on this. It's not Martha Kent. It's not. It's Martian Manhunter, who Mar- Martha Manhunter also <laughs> Martian Manhunter. Like, sure, okay, but not only is it Martian Manhunter. We also learn for like two seconds that one of the top military brass who was a source for Lois Lane is Martian Manhunter. So was that guy always Martian Manhunter? I can't. There's no way to tell. So, yeah, he once Martha leaves uh, Lois Lane's apartment. Which, th- that conversation probably took three and a half minutes. It felt like an hour and a half. I can't even recall. Didn't they just, like, listen to fond affections in, in the dark? And, oh, it's basically, yeah. I mean, it's Martha coming. And saying, you got to get back on yeah, the you, horse. Yeah, you got to get out you, there and start dating again. Yeah, come on. Your, your, be- <laughs> your best years are behind you. Like Seriously. Yeah, and... What I am now piecing together, and I did not piece it together in real time any of the half dozen times I watched it, was did does Martian Manhunter know that Superman's going to be resurrected and that the only thing that can make that successful is if Lois Lane is there to give him a, a little smoochie? That's the only, it's the only explanation, I guess. And... If that's the case, this is like the one part of the movie that is not just over text. So, well, we've we've had to sort of reverse engineer that, though. I mean, it, it is so, at least to me, it is quite subtle. It's the only thing so quite. far that's been <laughs> left open for interpretation. But for for me, the first time I saw it, and I still posit that a four-hour movie should not require like multiple viewings for you to understand what's going on first time i saw it i was just like oh superman's mom is the army the army general is a green man what and then they just go whoop back to something else and so it just drops so quickly and i was just like Wait, there's a green dude who we haven't seen before? I'm almost positive that this was like a last minute thing that Snyder just decided to do in reshoots. Like, oh, we can do this because the previous, the Diane Lane, Amy Adams conversation already happened. And the only Martian Manhunter content is him outside of the door once he's left. Right. Like they could have easily done that in reshoots. Just made it up on the spot almost. Well, and I think, too, so Martian Manhunter is also one of the last people we see. I'm going (laughs) to... 
Earlier before, I, I didn't say this, but I feel like for me, Parademon is giving Motherbox a run for its money. I think Parademon is actually stupider than Motherbox because are they paratroopers? Like they can fly their bug things. Para is like semi, right? Is like that, a semi-demon. Is that what it means? Yeah. They just call them semi-demons. <laughs> call them semis. Parademon's cooler. Um, so like for me, yeah, Parademon has been giving Motherbox a run for its money. But now that we've said Martian Manhunter like <laughs> 50 times in five minutes. Um, and I know that's, that's not a Snyder thing, right? No. Martian, Martian Manhunter. He's OG DC. Yeah. Um, but so he's one of the last people we see. Or, I don't know, is, is he a he? In the movie, yeah. yeah. But... Yeah, I think he, he likes they, them pronouns. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> they, they like they, them pronouns. And so, he show They show up at... <laughs> Martian Manhunter. M.M. M.M. Manfred Manhunter shows up <laughs> at the end after Batman has had his, his Joker dream. Yeah. And basically says, hey, Batman... There will be a sequel. And so I wonder, as we've talked about at length, Zack Snyder was really trying to let you know that he had another movie in him. That, you know, if you just gave him the... You gave him, like, five minutes to, to rest up. He had he had another round of movie in him. And so I wonder if this scene was there to just kind of help the epilogue make more sense. I guess, yeah. That we know that... Sort of bring it in for a landing. Yeah, we know that Manfred Manhunter is out there, he's watching the world, he cares about what's happening on this planet, and he's, you know, he's got his his fingers and, and stuff. Yeah. Well, we do, we haven't completely ended the part because they do cut back to the Batcave and yeah. the Superman resurrection plot. It's a cir- circular fucking pan the entire time, and we get another sweet line from Aquaman when they're talking about resurrecting Superman. Aquaman says life is either one or zero, to be or not to be. <laughs> it's like thanks, Doctor Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> oh, that that around the table scene is brutal. it's rough. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, yeah, and that and they end off there. We know exactly what they're gonna do. Yep. Aquaman could be Martian Manhunter. Anyone could be Martian Manhunter. <laughs> they can, could they all be Martian Manhunter? Possibly. I, I don't know what. <laughs> what You flagged this line in the rundown. You said there are six, not five. Who says that and why? Batman says that. As to why they need to... to he either says it to Alfred or he says it to the team. I, at this point, forget which. I think he may have said it to Alfred. He's like... Why are you trying to do this? He's like, there are six, not five. Based on what? <laughs> you bought a six-piece a six piece dinner set? Like, that's... There's nothing that says there has to be six of you. He's just or, a petulant baby. Or that the sixth guy has to be... Go get one of the Green Lanterns. Yeah. Get Martian Manhunter. He's just out... He's out in, in Metropolis just pretending to be other people. He's just... <laughs> Pull in anybody off the street because they potentially could be Martian. Yeah, he's just out there. He's Schrodinger's superhero. He's applying for mortgages and other people's loans. He's just writing bad checks all over Metropolis. (laughs) He's doing identity theft. Yeah, but that line, like, there are six, not five. It's like, (laughs) 
supposed to mean something? Yeah, it's and, supposed to be very profound. And at the time, as my brains are like leaking out my nose, I was like, not six, not what? Did you, is that how many seats you have in your sprinter van? Like it makes no, you know, all the while Cyborg was like, the sprinter van really wants to <laughs> go on a road trip. It's low on that blue stuff that you have to put in diesels these yeah, days. Right. <laughs> the sprinter van doesn't want you to do a, a biodiesel conversion. <laughs> it says you don't know what you're doing. Fuck me. All right, well, that's part four. That's uh, the change machine. Is there anything else that we need to say about this part? Like I said, my favorite part about this is that it was only 30 minutes long. But I think we managed to talk about it as long as we've talked about everything else. Easily, yeah. <laughs> no, thanks thanks for uh, for sticking with us. We've got some more guests coming, coming your way. Great interviews dropping soon. Yeah, some good stuff. And um, yeah, look for us going on the Joe Rogan podcast and telling him why this is so awesome. <laughs> then us putting on Groucho Mark's uh, glasses and mustaches and convincing him that it's terrible. That's going to be Patreon-only content, though. <laughs> Something woke the box my people guard. It called out to the dark place, to one of Darkseid's conquerors. The enemy is here. He's here? Where is he? He'll be searching for the other two boxes, hiding until he has all three, until he's ready. We have to be ready. You and the others. I'm so sorry, I'm late.